Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. Follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Um, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S. That's how you spell it, in case you were wondering. Um, today, I have a special guest, really excited to talk. Some off-season superlatives, which, you know, it's the off-season. It's time to get all the wackiness out the way. But this guest is a serious one. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at bballispoetry, all one word, pretty simple. Shouldn't have to spell that out. Bball is poetry. Uh, he is one of the leaders of basketball intelligence. He has his own website at basketballpoetry.com. Uh, his name is Mike Shear. Mike, Hello. how are you doing, sir? Oh, I am great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me and excited to talk some NBA off-season stuff. Oh, absolutely. I'm 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 happy you could join. Uh, it's been a minute. I'm very excited. And yeah, offseason. I mean, at this point, <clears throat> we're in the dog days. <clears throat> excuse me. Officially the dog days of the offseason where it's old games and like early previews and too soon. If you have to say too soon for anything at this point, yeah, you're most definitely right. But after <laughs> we take this time to take a quick look back, it's been closer to the end of the offseason than it is to the beginning of the new season. So wanted to do some fun little Actually, I don't know if that's actually mathematically correct. I'm pretty sure it is. That's safe. Yeah, <laughs> mathematically, it's been like a month. So I'm right. Anyway, um, wanted to ask just like some fun questions to look back on the offseason it was. That was really weird. It wasn't as much fireworks as we expected. Although there was a decent amount of movement, there still is a lot more yet to play out. But the likelihood of that happening today, I mean, knock on all the wood, I'd be crazy. But it's probably not. Um, so that being said, I thought, hey, let's just look back on some of the things that happened and, and talk about them. So what though, going back even before free agency, going to the draft, um, I know we weren't like, all of us weren't super mega like, okay, we're scouting everything on the draft, you know, months in advance. But uh, obviously you do a lot of basketball work, so I'm sure you have a good, well, I'm sure you definitely have a good basketball intel ha, on, you know, the prospects coming in. So I want to ask you, um, when you watched the draft and you saw the players selected, was there one player that you're like, you know what? This fits the category that I'm about to announce as best draft team or player fit. Yeah, I think um, let's leave aside women Yama, right? Like, I think that's probably <laughs> a pretty good player team fit. Uh, and frankly, I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of talking about women Yama. I'm, 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 I'm actually with you on that. Yes, yeah, you said it. <laughs> so, me. Uh, even though I just said that, I'm still going to, in fact, go <laughs> with a blue chip prospect. I'm just going to say Scoot. And the Blazers. Um, you could argue that the selecting of Scoot Henderson for Portland was, in fact, the reason why Damian Lillard left, as opposed to the Trailblazers trying to trade the pick, right? But if we assume that they anticipated Lillard demanding out, I think a dynamic point guard like Scoot is exactly what that Blazers roster is going to need. He's going to be a fun foundational building block for them in the future. Already, like just seeing him in summer league and watching some tape of him from, you know, the Ignite and some Ignite games last year, you see a guy who has a veteran's ability to control the speed of the game. Incredible change of pace guy. Um, obviously an explosive first step. The jumper looks better, I think. It's improving. The biggest question with him is, is, is he going to be able to harness that athleticism to really get to the rack as often as I'd like him to? Um, he tends to settle a little bit for the mid-range, which is something that can be coached up, I think. And once he kind of fully realizes that his athleticism is going to translate to the NBA, as well as I think it will, it's going to be impossible to keep him um, away from the cup. So that it would be my nomination. What about you? Honestly, I, I, I'm with you on school. I think that that was 
I mean, it was the easiest selection of draft night <laughs> in my mind because, sure. you know, you're sitting there and you had two guys who obviously, I mean, are, I don't know how much credence you lend to the argument that either Scoot or Wemby or Scoot would be a number one pick in any draft. I did like a quick exercise going back to a few drafts. There was a few I was like, uh, possibly, you yeah. know what I mean? But either way, like that, that was probably one of the easiest decisions and the easiest decisions for draft. Um, aside from that, I was really a fan of Anthony Black going to the Magic. Now, I like that because of the length athleticism he brings, the fact that he is like a point guard that I think is not I mean, and this it's it's a it's damning with fame praise. Like I don't look at him mm-hmm. as like a real scoring threat. So like Paulo Bank, Kevin Franz Wagner will be able to get all the touches still. But I look at someone who can defensively be a terror and like offensively like kind of push the tempo and get everything going. The problem is you still have a guy similar to that in Markel Fultz, which I don't know how that resolves itself. I don't think those two can play together in the backcourt. Like, there's not enough collective shooting. It'll just put Paolo and Franz in a stranglehold, you know, especially if it's Wendell Carter Jr. as well. Like, that just won't be great. But, like, for the future, I mean, I'm of the mindset that Markel Fultz has definitely had a resurgence in Orlando. Um, I definitely think he can continue his career somewhere else. And if you're taking Black, I think you're looking future focus. And so I like Anthony Black for the next, like, five, six years per se, for the Magic. Well, I think it's funny that you picked Black because I actually had him as one of my nominees for the next category we were going to talk about, which is most confusing fit. <laughs> oh, well, no, let, let's get so, into that now because I can see why. Like, I'm not I, I'm not naive as to why, but I want to get your reasoning for sure. Yeah, so I followed along with everything you were saying about Black and agree with all of the words. I just came to a different conclusion, which is simply like, at some point, you have to stop drafting guys who can't shoot like you just have to at at some point right like this is where i think you can have really interesting philosophical discussions about best available player versus drafting for fit because i'm Mm. a believer in best available player at the top top of the draft but like at six i think it starts to become a little murkier particularly when you already have two you know top uh draft choices that are still developing as shooters in uh, Wagner and Bancaro. And I think, you know, Franz is obviously a good shooter at this point. He is not a knockdown. He's not Nowitzki out there. He's not even marketing out there yet, right? Mm -hmm. And um, if you feel like the future of the Magic is going to be putting the ball in Bancaro and uh, Wagner's hands and letting them do a lot of the playmaking from the wing, I I struggle to see exactly where Black is going to fit in as a you know, guy who's best on the ball right now. And like, I think he has shown the ability to be um, a threat on the move off the ball, but he's not a threat to catch and space the floor, right? And smart players can maximize spacing even without shooting. I think the Magic have a lot of smart players, but there's only a limit to how much you can expand the floor if there's just not any shooting out there. And as to, uh, to your point, like Fultz is already going to command a lot of the minutes at point guard. And he's not an outside threat right now. So uh, it's it's crazy to say that their best shooter at this point, you know, is going to be there uh, is going to be either Wagner or Wendell Carter, probably. Um, and that leaves me concerned um, about like somebody has to move somewhere uh, on this magic team. And I like all the pe- pieces a lot. Like I love black um, as a player in a vacuum. I just this this rotation is going to be a struggle to watch on offense yet again, I think. And it's kind of going to hinder the development of their young guys at some point if, like, they're just constantly driving into bodies and the outlet passes aren't able to do anything, right? Um, So, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't love the fit. But 
none of the top guys this year could shoot in the draft. None of them were good shooters. And I think to the Magics, I'm like criticizing the pick a little bit, but also I'm like not sure where else they would go. They did get Jet Howard just a few picks later, which will help in some regard. But it was kind of an interesting thing. And I was talking about this um, with Adam Spinella from the Box and One a little bit about how none of the top guys in this draft really were known for being uh, accurate from deep, which is going to change the team building philosophies of the teams that invest such a high draft pick in these guys. I definitely agree with you. I think in that way, like if you're putting them on, they're going to have to be your primary guys, like on ball, just because the value they bring off ball, as good as they are on it, probably, I mean, probably isn't nearly as even, you know? So I agree with you there. And honestly, Jed Howard is one I have on my most confusing. Well, we'll talk about it in a second. Only Ooh. because it, it fits a clear, well, we'll talk about it in a second. So I'm going to get there. Um, <laughs> I, I'm ready to jump on it. But I want to ask again, I mean, again, to kind of add to that initial question, were there any other player fits or team fits that you liked from the draft? Um, That I liked. So actually I thought that you thought were like a good fit. Yeah. 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 I, I would say that a lot of them made sense to me later on in the draft. Like I think outside of the top 10 or so, like I understood the reasoning behind most of the draft picks one to watch that wasn't actually on my radar. I would say at the time, but it's starting to turn my head a little bit is the jazz is Keontae George who had a pretty incredible summer league showed off. I think he showed up like 15 or 20 pounds lighter than he was in college. And it was made a noticeable difference, right. in his burst and the jazz do need some like uh, dynamic playmaking on the perimeter. I think that their front court, and I, I, I do want to talk more about the jazz's front court later on, but I think in the back court, it will be interesting for them to have a guy who can kind of just like zip around, showed off like a nice playmaking uh, passing ability that hadn't always been present, I think in college. So it's rare to see a guy who comes in and completely subverts expectations for what people think they know about a player this quick into summer league. Right. And summer league is not a place you go to evaluate guys based all the way on the results, but it is a place you want to see how does a prospect play? Like what are their tendencies? What are they trying to do? Um, And I was surprised based on what I had heard about George, not a guy I knew much about when he was drafted, but based on what I'd read and what I'd heard about him, I was very pleasantly surprised with, how he operated in summer league and it looked like a great fit for Utah. It most definitely did. And I know I'm still like improving my draft process and just kind of how I evaluate players and my own board relative consensus and everything. But I had Keontae very high Um, just because I thought, yes, he had a lot of room to play with the ball and made some mistakes and wasn't always efficient and, you know, all of that. But at the same time, I liked his positional size. I liked the fact that he showcased, I mean, he showcased it more in summer league, that he was a guy who could score, but also could, kind of man the offense whether it's a second side initiator whether it's that's right you know a playmaking guard like I definitely could see him being one of those players in the future and he showed really good flashes of that in Utah so I it, it validated in a very small extent because again this is like you said summer league but I'd rather you show it in summer league than than don't you know exactly. um and I'm sure we have guys to talk about in that vein later but yeah I definitely agree with you there especially when you're looking for I mean you still have a a, a different backcourt in Utah right um Colin Sexton's still around there obviously you know you still have a uh, a six man of the year candidate Jordan Clarkson, um, but he's out there, you know, um, you just, you, these guards are, there's not like, I don't think moving forward, the future for them is more like you mentioned in the front court. I think they're still trying to figure out that guard depth. I think Clarkson is a six man moving forward. It's fine. I don't know where Sexton fits in kind of moving forward. Um, who knows on that? Like, I, I just, I think um, they're just weird there. And honestly, the jazz are interesting to me because I have no idea as an aside on just like where they're going next year. Like, I don't think they're trying to win, but at the same time, I I, I don't know. Like, that roster is weirdly – it's weird. 
it's weird. That that's that's why I know they're gonna be at the bottom just by osmosis, I feel, but I, I was just curious. But like Taylor Horton Tucker still there to guard spot. Don't forget Ochai Baji. Like there are a few guys that kind of sort themselves out, but definitely the backcourt is where there's room for sure. And I think Keontae, just by the way he played uh in summer league, he's he's gonna get a ton of run. Yeah, I I mean, just harping on Utah for a second. Like, I do mm-hmm. think, like, they're not going to try to win, but they might win anyway. I think, uh, you know, last year's first half obviously tailed off, but it did, it did show sort of the ceiling that this team can have, and I'd expect them probably to be better this year than they were last year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they're as bad as they were at the end of last year. I don't think they were as good as, the, as they were at the start of last year, but, like, if they can stay healthy, I could see them ending up in a play-in spot pretty easily if a few other teams just fall off. Um, and, dude, Sexton is such a weird player. I Every year he puts out these insane, like, I feel like he's always putting out these insane shooting splits. You know, he's like mm-hmm. a 50, 40, 90 candidate, uh, you know, all the time. And yet I never feel like he's making a positive impact on the game. He's one of those guys who, like, makes really mean faces and he looks like he's doing so much stuff on defense and then you realize he's never doing the right thing. And uh, I don't know. I there's clear talent there. I just don't know that it's going to help the Jazz win, which to your point, maybe that's not their goal. Maybe they just want to ride it out and see if he can develop. Just see what happens. You're right. I, I definitely uh, kind of agree with you there. And they're going to be one of the teams that's going to be intriguing to watch for sure. Um, and then another guy toward the end of the fit, at the end of, of the first round that I also liked kind of just staying with the Jazz, Bryce Sensabaugh. Uh, a guy who we know, I mean, I put some comparisons and, and like he reminded me and I don't watch I watch a lot of old school ball but sometimes my comparisons are fuzzy like the way he plays like this kind of and this guy I'm about to compare him to is a little bit bigger but like undersized player relative but likes to play out the post can really do a little bit of scoring uh better off the dribble or better like with the ball in his hands than, like a spot shooter but definitely a guy who could heat up he reminds like a Jamal Mashburn like I like the mm. way he's like able to like play out the post his stocky kind of build like the way he lives in that mid-range area can stretch it out doesn't always do that, but like the potential is really there to do so. Um, whether or not he feels comfortable is another story. But I like him in Utah, where again, like his role is simple. Like if he plays defense and earns his minutes on the floor, it'll be great. But like if you bring him out there, like he's gonna get buckets. And I, and I have an affinity to guys that do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shooting is always going to have value, right? And um, especially at the point he was drafted, it feels like the Jazz. I don't really know why he was sliding because at one point he was projected to be a much higher pick. And then by the time the draft rolled around, there were fears he might even fall to the second round. I remember. So I'm not a hundred percent sure what happened there, but I think where the jazz got him, there's a lot of value and that team is definitely every team, but especially the jazz are always going to need to find shooting in as many places as they can. So absolutely a good, good choice there. I bet nobody expected to be talking about the jazz this much this early on in the pod. Right. But here we are. Here we are. This is what we do. You know, it's different down here. But um, and I, I got one more player I just want to throw out there just to get your take on because we're gonna probably talk about them next in the next category. Um, I like the draft of the selection of Nick Smith Jr. Mm. I thought that as a combo guard, and, and mind you, the Hornets have drafted quite a few of these guys um that have not yet panned out, whether we're looking at James Booknight or I mean Bross McGowan's in the second round, but a guy like him, yeah. I mean, going oh, back a little Booknight. further, Malik Monk didn't take off in Charlotte. Like these combo guards that can maybe do a little something, kind of the same physical profile, definitely looking for the shot first and foremost. And aren't always the most efficient. Yeah. And yeah, poor one out for book night because uh, that doesn't look great, but, going, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I definitely thought that for someone that I had again, high in my board going into um, the college season um, and yeah, he played with injury and I thought that was actually admirable, even though it did hurt his draft stock. And yeah, there's some real weaknesses. He's kind of a light dude. Um, he does seem to avoid contact. He's a very good floater, but he doesn't seem to really embrace the contact. Um, and yeah, playing through injury, didn't showcase his strengths and defensively not great, but I thought that in the environment he's in a Charlotte where, you know, um, 
depending on how you feel about Terry Rozier, like, are you going to do the Toronto route and just keep your guys till well past their trade value and then they just walk? You know what I mean? Or are you just going to keep them until they regrets the client? Like, Terry Rozier is a solid player, um, but he's been on the trade block. Like, he's been available for contending teams for a couple. He's been linked to the Suns for like, mm. the last two years. And you feel you get something back, if anything back. And at this point, I feel like the ship's starting to sail. He's definitely reaching his, his – he'll be 30 this upcoming year, like, I'm not saying that Nick Smith Jr. is going to be the, the, the shooting guard of the future, but also this team right now, we'll talk about them like, who knows where they're at right now. So there's a chance, and Nick Smith definitely has the potential to do so. Uh, so I thought, why not? Take a swing in the second round with the play with good upside, uh, really came in high uh, in consensus rankings, and, and just go for it. Yep, I agree with that pretty much 100%. Like, I think that Nick Smith, at, particularly where he was drafted, has the upside of, like, a top 10 pick traditionally, right? And um, – Playing hurt is interesting. I've been thinking about it a lot recently in regards to like the Sabonis, right? Where he was playing with, uh, you know, a, a fractured thumb for most of last season, which really mm-hmm. dragged him down in the playoffs. And I think it exposes players to so much criticism. You'd rather have an injured Smith or an injured Sabonis out there than on the bench because they're still probably better than who's behind them. But it does just do so much to change your the perception of you particularly for college guys like smith where like there isn't a large body of work for most people to rely upon you might have um in general not in smith's case, but you might have one or two years prior or maybe you have some AU mixtape where people are you know have this idea but i do wonder if smith would have been better off just not playing right like i for a guy who had as much hype coming into college as he did i don't know that's uh everything you said about him as a player i should probably drag this back on track but everything you said about him as a player is, is i agree with and uh a good pick for the Hornets just to see what they have. I'm not as high on this player archetype as you, I think. Um, but mm-hmm. the ones that hit, obviously, can always – like combo guards, scoring guards, are uh, you know, are always an asset to the team if they hit. I just think so often it turns into guys who are – can hamper the offense a little bit. And we saw that in Summer League with Smith where he was – you know, the nights where he was on, obviously, it looked great. I think he had a 30-point night uh, in one time. And then the nights where he was – chucking and you know trying to recapture the magic or trying to prove himself i think you can just feel the offense dying as a slow death and so it's, it's tough for me to get over that sometimes no i agree with you and i'm a graduate of monte Ellis university so i think it is hard <laughs> for me to not go back to my roots there but no you're right when it hits it hits but more often than not it doesn't and when it doesn't like you see the book nights um but yeah let's kind of go to our next category which is basically opposite what was the most confusing and or annoying yep. uh draft fit that you had <laughs> Uh, so we already talked about Anthony Black, which is, you know, <laughs> where I was. And then I have two more for you, but I'll, I'll give one and then I'll let you go. So quickly, because we've already talked about Utah a lot, but Taylor Hendricks on Utah. I liked that pick a lot when they made it. And then they immediately went and traded for John Collins, which then confused me because that's suddenly a very crowded front court, right? Like you've got Markinen, who's going to eat up a lot of minutes at the three and at the four. You've got Kessler, obviously, manning uh, the five. You've got Collins now. You have Kelly Olenek, who's still a very good player. Like, he's he's going to get minutes even if he's not the sexiest name. Like, he's a good player, and that team kind of needs his playmaking from that spot, I think. Uh, they signed Yurtseven recently, who I have been a big fan of in Miami, and I think he's going to, you know, at least compete for the backup five minutes. They still have Fontecchio if they need, like, shooting a shooting four. So, like, I don't know. I, I like Hendricks a lot as a player. It's the exact kind of player archetype that every team – once eventually like a three and D guy with some defensive flexibility, but it's with, with the addition of Collins, I think he's going to be really squeezed for playing time now. 
I agree. I think he's one of those guys you make a draft selection, you like, go oh, great, and then you see the free agency fit, and you go, why? You know, we've seen that yeah. in teams time and time again, and he's one of those guys because you're right, he does bring some intriguing talent. Like I almost feel like a, a, a maybe because of his physical profile, but he almost reminds me like a better shooting like Jonathan Isaac kind of in the way he's able to at least play offensively, right? And the wiry kind of long. He's an Orlando Magic pick usually, mm-hmm. like over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, and so Utah's like, why not? You know, younger guy playing alongside Laurie. Like, let's see how that fits. Now you have John Collins there. Are you putting Hendricks at three? I don't think he really should. Um, doesn't look great. You're kind of pigeonholing the guy there if you do. Very much how the Cavs pigeonholed Markin into the three when he played there, which was funny. Um, so, you know, I, 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 he's coming off the bench probably more than likely, but he's like, why would you do that? Especially since John Collins is still, like, what, 26? Like, mm-hmm. He's and not an older guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he wasn't utilized in my mind most effectively in Atlanta. So, like, you can definitely envision him, you know, there's more to unlock. But how are you going to do that when you have a younger player waiting in the wings? It's very much like a – I don't even know. It's like I can't even bring up another comparison because even Capella's older than Onyeke Kungu um, in Atlanta. But similar to that, like, the guy's not going anywhere. And this guy, you're going to be paying soon, making him very expensive. And it's probably going to, inter, you know, intersect. So, yeah, that's definitely one that's interesting. Um, I had Jed Howard, uh, and I know it was interesting because I just feel like you had uh, a system where you had, I mean, in my mind, you want shooting, right? We were just talking about the fact that the Magic needed shooting. Um, and I feel that you had three really good shooters there, Jed Howard, Grady Dick, and Jordan Hawkins. Um, and if I had to rank them, I would probably put Howard second. I mean, Grady shot really well from three, but it wasn't like the type of difficult threes and off of movement and all that other stuff, right? Um, I would put Jordan Hawkins first on that. I mm. think that he did a really good job of shooting different types of threes, but also he had a little burst at the rim. Also, he did a little bit in between. Like, it wasn't just shooting. Um, and defensively, not super great, but I thought the effort was there. Um, with Jet, I don't know. Like, Jet is a very good shooter, but he is nowhere near an elite athlete. Now, um, he has size, but I also feel like defensively, he's a positionless defender. And I don't mean that in a good way. Like, he doesn't <laughs> seem strong enough to guard, like, bigger guys. You're not really playing him up a position. You put him on a shorter position, he's going to get smoked. He's not very quick. Um, you know, he's going to be targeted. Like, I don't think that's great. And also, like, if he's not an off-ball player, I don't like what he does on the ball. Like, he's a little bit of an in-between game. But he's not really great finishing at the rim. He struggles turning the corner. Um, I, I just feel like, okay, you're 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 a guy that okay, if Paulo or Franz or let's say Markel Fultz get to the basket and create an opening and swing swing action and you have a wide open shot, yes, Jed Howard, go for it. Great. But if it's okay, give the ball to Jed Howard. Oh, pump thing. Okay, still there. What are we gonna do? We're gonna swing it right back out. Like <laughs> I, I just I just don't really I think you had a, a easy pick for shooters and you picked one of the worst in terms of any value utility they add aside from just shooting. Um, and so that was my mind. I also thought, like, he also played a little bit through injury, and maybe that's why he dropped a little bit as well. Um, I know he had some ankle injuries in Michigan, but that that's where I had him. I had him more in, like, the back half of the lottery, like 17, 18. Well, not back half of the lottery, back of the first round, rather. Um, and so to get him where he was, like, yes, he's a very good shot maker. I think it fits well roster building-wise, but I just – he's I don't think he's going to be a primary creation hub. I don't think he put pressure at the rim. Um, and, yeah, that, that kind of worries me. Yeah, I, my counterpoints to that would be like, one, I don't think he needs to be a primary creation hub. I don't think that's ever going to be his role, at least on the Magic, where they already have so many plus positional creators, right? Like mm-hmm. I think Bancaro, Wagner, Fultz are all at least above average for their position at kind of like playmaking and stuff like that. I do think mm-hmm. Howard, it, the one thing you didn't say that I think is valid is that he's a 
decent passer, I think. Um, he's yeah, not necessarily yeah. like a dribble drive on his own kind of guy, but I think that, you know, at least in summer league, he had a couple of really nice passes that kind of got the crowd going, ooh, and stuff. You know, I think that uh, he does have a little bit of vision there, which will help. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I don't I don't know as much maybe about uh, why they chose Howard over the other shooters there, but I think that, to me at least, the pick seemed defensible at number 11 when your clearest need was shooting, and I think they found a guy – that they expect it to translate. And I'm not, I don't think they're as worried about the creation and the uh, offensive hub type stuff right now. No, I, I, I with you. I, I don't think it was more confusing as much as annoying for me. Like, <laughs> you got Shay, that's probably where it fits. Like you got shooting. I just, I would have wanted more, but you're right. You don't need it per se with the guys you have. Um, it would have been helpful, especially if there are changes. That's always helpful. You yeah. know? So yeah. And I thought that there was that similar time on the board, but with that, I'm going to throw it to you. Do you have another pick? Yep. You're like, why? My last one, and this is actually going to be a somewhat similar story to when we were talking about Anthony Black. This is a player that I love. I just don't love him for this team, and that's Asar Thompson. So Mm. I am the biggest fans of the Thompson Twins. Like, I think they're going to be so good. I'm so impressed with what I saw from them in summer league, uh, particularly on defense, which I think a lot of people have question marks about just given the level of competition they were playing, you know, at OTE. I I was very impressed with the defensive playmaking instincts that both the Twins showed, but Going back to the best available player fit, I, I do think Thompson probably was the best available player, in my opinion, at number five. A lot of people would disagree with that. So I understand why the Pistons took him. But now you have three guys on the Pistons roster who are young, who need reps on the ball to be effective, and none of them are particularly great off ball in Thompson, uh, Jaden Ivey, and Cade Cunningham. Everyone tells me, everyone tells me that Cade Cunningham is going to be a great shooter. I would love to see him make a shot one time. A single, a single three-pointer would be superb for me because right now I see a guy who's shooting, I think, sub 30% from three for his, albeit very brief career. Um, and it sure looks good, but I, you start to get worried that at some point that it's not going to translate. Um, and he's also the best on-ball guy, in my opinion, in terms of like passing and creating offense for others. Ivy and Thompson and Cunningham is just going to be a weird position for new coach Monty Williams to try to figure out like who gets the on-ball reps and where. I think Thompson is a good cutter. I think he will have good instincts in that regard. I'm not sure that he, I think he's probably going to be the worst of the three shooting wise to start. Um, Ivy's three-pointer is not great, but at least like, you know, he can make it on occasion, but he also is best when he's got the ball and he's pulling off some Tyrese Maxey stuff where he's like going straight to the rim hard, right? Like he's decide when he's decisive with it. I, and Cade is probably their best spacer theoretically, but he's also the best passer. So I just don't know why, I don't know how Thompson is going to fit into a Pistons team that already had two guys that kind of fill the role that I'd like to see Thompson play. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I definitely think that I, 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 again, best, again, it goes back to the BPA on, you know, and, and, and fit, right? Like, I definitely think he was the best player available there. And that's, and that's saying a lot because I'm not really high on the Thompson points. I love their athleticism. I, I love their playmaking ability, defensive upside. I just, the lack of shooting, like, and I definitely skew more that way in my own draft philosophy, but it bugs me, even though I guess you do have arguably the, the better shooter um, of the two. But with that being said, I, I think that you don't have, I mean, a lot of guys want the ball. Or a lot of guys, rather, they don't even say want the ball. They, they kind of need the ball to be right. at their most effective, right? Like, say what you will about Jaden Ivey being, you know, a better shooter. Like, he's best with ball intense. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, same thing with Cade. Any weaknesses we saw when Cade came out in that 2021 draft, like, people talk about, wow, really good, you know, easy number one, yada, yada. But his shooting could improve. Well, two years later, I, I don't think that's changed, right? So that's mm-hmm. another thing, right? And then, of course, Asar. 
really good player. Like maybe more of a wing guy, I, I, but but still like better with the ball in his hands and he's not going to be like a spot up, you know, he's not playing the Jed Howard role, right? So those are three guys, all of which are sub shooters at their position. Like they all can maybe shoot possibly depending on how you feel about them, but definitely relative to their positional peers are below standard, right? And then you have like gosh, Marvin Bagley, Jalen Duran, James Wiseman, like you are getting nothing. I mean, I, I what? Um, I'm thinking of what's his name? It's Big Stu. Uh, Big Stu. Yeah. Who uh, that, I didn't even like that contract. We'll talk about that, I guess. At some point. <laughs> but like Isaiah Livers, like for three point mm. shooting, probably like your only like actual like shoe that you go okay, great. Like yeah, Stu will get him up. But I mean, he's one of those guys that like he gets him up. You know, I don't know if I like his numbers aren't super bad, but like I don't look at him and go oh watch out close out hard. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I I agree with you. I think that yes for the fit, not great for the best player available okay but now you have to make a decision like okay how are you going to have the creative offense to utilize all three of these guys in a way that brings out if not the best something close to that to make them all work together in one uniform you know symphony of players right and, and that goes back to the coaching i'm not high on monty williams i think that behind the scenes locker room wise he did not do a good job in phoenix um i mean especially for a guy who's supposed to have the touch with players right like, yeah sure were yeah. a lot of very publicly disgruntled players which is pretty unusual Exactly. So whether you're going from a, a journeyman like Jay Crowded to a former number one pick like DeAndre Ayton, like they, there was issues. And this is for a team that was contending that's trying to win, like actual championships, right? So you go from that, and now you have a team that you have guys who are going to be up for the next contract soon. Like, it's already been, what, two years for Cade, right? Jayden last year, uh, Thompson this year, all three of those guys all kind of need the ball, all in similar backcourt kind of positions. You have James Wiseman, Jalen Duran, and, and, and uh, of course, Marvin Bagley all up in there. Like, you have a glut of positional battles from young guys who you have mm -hmm. to like put down their ego try to make them work together to win and you're gonna go to monty williams who like one of those boxes were checks <laughs> you know I, I just don't know so no going back to that kind of straight off but I, I i was okay with it when i saw him play a little bit um but a long term i'm not i'm not optimistic of the fit there i think that one of those guys needs to be moved there's be some kind of some consolidation trade i forgot about uh bojan badanovich so i guess you have a shooter there my bad. and joe harris maybe although yeah. i doubt he sees too much time but yeah i, I think mean, those are injuries and defensive yeah between injuries and defensive issues yeah you're right and you're right that that's it like that's all folks and three shooters on a 12-man 15-man roster uh you know so yeah i agree with you on that um i think my last like kind of huh pick um Bilal Kulabali. Mm. I definitely he rose up draft boards over the last couple weeks. I think he brings some intriguing like oh he could be anything like the mystery box and I and I I'm I'll admit I'm I'm partial to the mystery box in, in life <laughs> and in, in basketball. Oh he could be anything you know like that's intriguing. But when you're a team like the Wizards um yeah he could be anything is okay I guess but you know you could also just go with a guy who probably makes a, a better fit in my mind, um, a better, or must say, more better defined pick, like a, a more defined fit. Um, with I, I would have liked Anthony Black there. I mean, Anthony Black was already gone, mm. but like that would have been nice. Or you could have traded. Well, they traded, so I think they traded back for who they trade with. I forgot the pick they traded. Ah, it's Did they trade with the too. Pacers. They trade with the Pacers. That's what it was. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not sure. I guess you could argue like who that player would be. But I, Bilal, to me, I mean, his numbers, yeah, six foot six, good wingspan, kind of a guard, kind of a forward, you know. But, like, the dude averaged five points a game. And when I say that, I, I mean, like, I'm not saying, like, okay, like, that, like, his, 
his weaknesses to me is like, what is he offensively? Like he had a good game in preseason. Um, I think in a game where he had 19 points, four rebounds, four blocks, three assists, like, and he was five out of 10 shooting, eight out of nine from the free throw line. Like when he's a little bit of everything, that's cool. That's just army knife type player is great. I just don't know if that is his like long-term outcome. Offensively, his, th- his three-point percentage was on such small volume and his shooting's iffy to begin with. I, again, there's potential there. I just don't think he's like that can't miss. We got to grab him right there that the Wizards ultimately went with, especially given where they are right now in their team trajectory. Yep, I completely agree. I'm just not a fan of – it's pretty rare that you see guys who rocket up the draft boards this late in the process, and then they end up being a success for where they're picked, right? I think a lot of the time these stories and – and I think the opposite is true with guys who take major slides. I think a lot of the time they tend to overperforming based on where they end up. And I – you know, these things kind of gain momentum on their own. And I do believe that, like, the front offices and things like that believe maybe too much sometimes in the collective wisdom of the masses at the expense of their own – uh intelligence right and like clearly the wizards like believe in in Koulibaly because they went up and grabbed him right they didn't wait for him to come to him but I I don't really see where he's going to fit on a team that is he's never going to be given the opportunity to kind of get the ball and do the things that you know he's best at right now so unless he turns himself into a completely different player than we've seen up to this point which he could he's just so young and so raw maybe he could totally develop into some kind of like off ball killer, but on a team that's already got a lot of guys who want the ball. And this is going back to like what we said about the Pistons, right? Like a lot of guys who need the ball to be at their best uh, in like pool and Kuzma. And to a lesser extent, like Johnny Davis actually had a, you know, a reasonable summer league. So maybe he's still not dead on arrival yet. Like he's just not going to cool the ball. He's just not going to get the opportunity to develop as much as I think he would have. He had just fallen to a different team later on that then could carve out a specific role for him. If that makes sense. No, I agree with you there. And it's interesting. I think there's going to be something, I mean, we have the time to like look back and kind of see, you know, um, these players, like these project type players drafted really early and like where they ended up long-term compared to where they started. You know what I mean? Like that is some interesting side project to go with, but we'll go on for this probably another 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) But let's go to the next category, which is um, for us, I guess the best sleeper pick. You know, pick that you're like, you know what? Like, I'm not mad at it. That, 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 whether you saw in summer league or just have a really strong feeling about it, that could look good moving forward. Yeah. For me, I have one guy here and it's Hunter Tyson on the nuggets. Um, you know, I saw, I think three of his games in summer league in person and the shooting was lights out. He was 18 for 36 from deep. I think in his five games, he was rebounding really well. He held up all right on defense. Um, but the funny part that maybe you couldn't necessarily see, like if you were watching on TV is this dude is just like, crazy jacked up every time he does something good and it's really fun he's just like constantly like fist pumping the air and like slapping the basket stanchion and like he's like the biggest cheerleader on the bench he's just losing his mind all the time over like basic basic layups and it cracks me up um i I think mike malone is not a guy who traditionally has loved rookies but as we saw with christian brown recently and even michael porter jr to an extent in the past like he's starting to i think open up to the idea that hey maybe rookies can contribute late in the season and the Nuggets are interesting They lo- because they lost, uh, you know, several of their bench pieces. Pretty much anybody who can shoot on that team is a starter. They don't really have much three-point making ability on their bench. And so I do wonder if there's a role for Tyson, whether it's backing up Michael Porter Jr. at the three or getting some minutes at the four. I think there might be some room for him to come in as a little bit of an offensive engine for the second unit just to space the floor and make some catch-and-shoot threes. Um I, so that that would be to me, uh, you know, particularly as a second rounder, a guy who looks like 
he's going to leave Mike Malone with no choice but to find him some minutes. And I think that's exciting. That is, especially when you have a player, like you said, that can make, whether it's opportunity that they create, opportunity to open up for them, a little bit of both, like it, boom. Like that, that's really neat. So definitely with you on that. I only have one as well. Um, and that is Dariq Whitehead. Mm. Really high on Dariq going in, obviously battling foot injury, um, well, continued foot injuries throughout college and even after. But um, I thought it was cool that he was operated for that second foot when he had after the season, uh, basically by the doctor uh, in the new Brooklyn Nets organization. So if anyone knows like the recovery of that, like he would, right? And also Dariq, when he played, showed some more defense than I was expecting. Brings a good positional size and, and body type to position. Really shot the three at a high clip. And let's not forget, in high school, he really showed some self-creation as a possible offensive hub or, or something similar to that. So not saying that he will be that in Brooklyn, but that there definitely is potential for that to happen. And you're in a position where, I mean, Brooklyn's kind of a, a team uh, sort of in transition. Like, they can definitely win with some of their win-now players. If you look at a guy like Mikel Bridges, re-signing Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, you have these other guys there. You also have younger guys, whether it's, you know, um, Cam Thomas, whether it's Nick Claxton, you know, Noah Clowney, like you, you're in a weird space, right? But I think that there is a role, especially the wing position, shooting guard, wing, swing man position, for Derek Whitehead to really get healthy, so we can, you know, shoot the ball at a high clip and find us one on the floor is that, and then flash a little bit more and be a, a better version, in my mind, of a Cam Thomas. Cam heats up a lot more in a hurry offensively, but like as far as a better shooter, bigger size and ability to play both ends. I like Derek better. And I think if we're, again, I, I'm going a little bit in the high school field. That's all we really saw from him being healthy. Like I liked it. What I saw in college, I still think is a very solid pick for where he was selected, but that upside, if that is there, if, if he can recapture that and that foot didn't sap all of that athleticism from him, I'm definitely excited for that. Yeah. I think you said about his play are definitely true. I think I'm just less optimistic about a guy who's had multiple surgeries on the same foot being able to re-get capture the explosiveness that was part of what made him special right so that's my hesitation i so i live in uh durham actually and so Dariq is one of the few college players that i was able to watch a lot of just by proximity right uh, mm -hmm. to duke and i think he with the understanding that the foot injury has to temper expectations he just always left i think most observers a little bit cold here not to say he was bad by any means but i i just if he can't get that foot right then he's not going to have the athleticism needed to do the things that make him special so it all just comes down to health and for me that's just a worrying thing to do with a first round pick even if it's a late one yeah no i'm with you that's and you i think i count that because you're right about that foot and also the same one but i i agree and i, I think that while i agree with that i'm definitely excited to see what happens here with him but, um, and they're not going to rush him. He's going to have a lot of time in the G League, I suspect. So, um, that's true. yeah, so we'll see. And that's not bad. We no, not at all. Yep. All right, so let's go from the draft, kind of transitioning more to free agency. Yeah. Um Had some weird picks, some cool picks, just a lot of stuff happening. Um, what was the most underrated free agency move to you? All right, I got three, and I will do them Love in it. order from sickest, sicko mode all the way up to maybe a little bit more mainstream. Oh, let's go. All right, so first – Jordan Goodwin uh, for Phoenix was not a free agent, to be fair, but he was part of the trade, right, that came up, brought Bradley Beal over. And I just, like, love Jordan Goodwin. I don't even know if he's going to end up making their final roster, to be honest. But, like, to me, this is a team that literally doesn't have any point guards on the team. And he showed up me a lot in Washington. I swear I'm the only person who, outside of the D.C. area, who watched any Wizards games last year because nobody has even mentioned Jordan Goodwin. And I think he's a good defender on a team that desperately, desperately needs perimeter defense. 
I am going to be devastated if the Suns and Frank Vogel can't find this guy 12 minutes a game to come in and just kind of like muck things up and like run a functional pick and roll when necessary. And he's just like the exact kind of role player that I think Phoenix needs. So I, I love Jordan Goodwin. I really hope he gets an opportunity in Phoenix. because I think that he can help them in ways that pretty much nobody else on their roster can. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming you don't have tons of Jordan Goodwin thoughts, but I'll, so I'll give you another guy to bounce sure. off of. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I watched a little bit of him. I did a, a little Wizards podcast for a bit. So I definitely agree with everything you said. And I also think that Frank Vogel, if there's any coach who will find defensive-minded players there, Frank Vogel will try yes. to squeeze the blood out of a turnip with the Lakers roster in 2021. I think he'll find a place for him. Yep. No, that's exactly how I feel. So then moving up a notch is Gabe Vincent uh, with the Lakers, I think is a beautiful pl- uh, uh, player for that team. I suspect that he is going to end up taking most of D'Angelo Russell's playoff minutes once we come down to it, um, which I think is fine. Like D'Angelo Russell is probably a better regular season player in the fact that he's going to go out and he'll score more points than Gabe Vincent, which is going to be important on the nights where Davis is injured or doesn't have a go on or where LeBron is just for whatever reason, taking a step back. Like last year was the first year I can remember where like LeBron noticeably had taken a step back, right? It had been a pretty gradual decline for a while, but last year was the first one where it's like, yep, this guy is definitely, getting older um, and he's not Mm. going to be able to bring it every single night. D'Angelo Russell can fill in that void a little bit, but in the playoffs, I think Gabe Vincent is a better fit for the team. And I think he's a better playoff player, period. He's a great point of attack defender. Um, Even though he is small and he's not switchable in the traditional way, I think that he will fight really hard. Like I don't think that he's a total walkover either um, when he gets switched onto bigger players. And I think his three point percentages are quite deceptive. Um, He doesn't look like based on last year, like a knockdown three point shooter, but the problem is that he can't shoot for anything off the dribble. Do not let this man do a pull-up three-pointer. But catch and shoot, I believe he was over 40% last year. And I think he has a long mm-hmm. history of being an excellent catch and shoot three-point shooter, which is more important to me than like D'Angelo Russell's self-professed, you know, creation skills or whatever. So I, I think Vincent is going to be a guy who doesn't make a huge impact in the regular season, but we end up singing his praises in the way that we did with, you know, Rui Hachimura uh, in the most recent playoffs. No, I'm with you. I, I like coming from the heat perspective that you bring. I, I definitely like that expert analysis there, especially on the shooting off the dribble. I did look at those numbers. I was like, oh, interesting. But I agree. Like, a better fit. And, and let's be real. Gabe Vincent is one of those small guards who plays so well alongside LeBron James, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Guys, you know, heady, you know, simple offensive reads, play decent defense for the position, can knock down an open three. They don't want you to do the ball. Now, mind you, that is different because traditionally, those are the guards who play best off LeBron James. But this LeBron James, not that LeBron James, right? We saw a guy like Austin Reeves who does more. I mean, Austin Reeves led the Lakers in, in postseason scoring in several games LeBron James was playing through. Mm-hmm. Imagine LeBron James, 20-foot tender. That's a lot. But also, like you said, he looked out. He went through a whole quarter or first half without taking a shot or something. And, like, like, like just very, like, deferential, which, yeah, LeBron James can be that. Like, that's the kind of play he can. But I usually think dominance and, like, you can't really stop him, and he makes the better basketball play. In this case, it's like, well, I don't got it, man. Like, do what you got to do. And Austin Reeves being a guy who's like a bigger positional player, can play on ball and can play off, I feel his transition to be more of the guard that will play best with LeBron in his twilight years of basketball player. But if we're going by like regular season, like that sort of thing, or playoffs where you hope you get old LeBron back, then you want a guy like Gabe Vincent who's like a chip off the old block of like the 2012 Mario Chalmers or, you know, lesser extent Norris Cole or <laughs> those type of players. So I'm with you on that for sure. Um, I really only had one underrated move, and that was because it was a bunch of moves all into one. You kind of touched on a little bit. That was the Phoenix Suns bench. Oh, like, yeah. Okay. Coming with what they, yeah, I, w- I want to get to it for sure. I think it, it, it remains to be seen what they look like moving forward. I'm really giving this more of a shout because of a fresher approach to this. We've seen these veteran-laden teams with 
these three stars in varying degrees of their basketball career all team up. And what does the team do? They go and say, okay, let's get all the former all-stars from 10 years ago, you know, and stock it up. We saw the Brooklyn Nets do it with Blake Griffin and, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge. And I think they even tried during the pandemic, Jamal Crawford. Like you have these older guys in, right? We saw that with the Miami Heat back in the day, literally the who's who of who was that back then, right? We saw the Lakers do it in 2021, right? Like there's this, just this propensity to just go with name guys. Um, and hope that they can recapture the form they had four years ago when they were slipping then. Uh, the Phoenix Suns didn't really do that. They had one guy they did it with a little bit. That was Eric Gordon. Even then, two years, six million. I don't mind it. I mean, the guy does turn 35 in December. Do mind that a little bit. But I don't think his game's going to age terribly. He's a stocky guy. Never really was known for his quickness. Really strong for his position. Can kind of play up or down. Can space the floor from deep. Um, can also do some on-ball reps. Like, I don't necessarily like the contract. I would have been much happier for one year as an overpay. But sure, right? Um, Utah Watanabe, 6'9", three-point sniper. Like, he played very well alongside Durant. To get him for what you did, great. Cam Bates Diop, I mean, if you watch him in San Antonio, I watched a little bit of that. He definitely looked better as a shooter. Defensively, was really good. Like, I, I think it's legit. I don't think it was very high volume. So we'll see. Like, and maybe you won't have to have high volume in Phoenix, too. You have three guys who are going to take a lot of shots. But, like, I did see him in San Antonio. I thought that was real. Um, Chimese Metu. Um, was pretty solid. Drew Eubanks had some time in San Antonio as well. Um, Metu was in Sacramento. Both those guys had solid minutes for their position. Um, and then Damian Lee and Josh Kogi were just holdovers. That brought something, whether it's shooting for Lee or defense for a Kogi. So, like, do I like any of them individually? Maybe Utah. And even then, like, defensively, not super great. But he's a big guy who can shoot well, and I saw him play off Durant. I saw K to beat Diop. You know, if you, if you, again, this is a bat, like a collection of basketball sickos kind of picks because we all saw them, and mm-hmm. we know in those moments. Now, the difference is, in those moments, like, aside from Metu in Sacramento, um, and that's really about it, or maybe Lee and Akogi, like, these guys weren't really playing for, like, high stakes. You know what I mean? I mean, with Sacramento, we, we found that as we went along. Um, but they were in, like, very specific minutes in these roles for teams that weren't really going anywhere fast. I mean – Gordon later on with the Clippers, of course. Uh, Utah at the beginning with the Nets. But seeing them now in a, in a, in a different situation, uh, how they fit in, that's going to be intriguing. But I thought that they could have went a different way with the way they targeted the free agency. They didn't. I think given the cap constraints, they did a decent job of securing some depth um, with some intriguing positions. Yeah. Uh, so first off, I love all of the players you mentioned. Like you said, it's for people who watch – a lot of basketball like we do obviously a lot of these guys have kind of long been like teases where it feels like you know they're awesome players that never quite seem to get as many minutes as we want them to um but let me play devil's advocate a little bit because i actually did have these guys as a little bit in the overrated um uh off season not because it was bad it was very good i just think that you read all these names off and it's like oh yeah love watanabe he's awesome uh i love chemezi metu uh kate bates diop love him but suddenly you're like, wait a second. These are a lot of names for guys that are ninth men on a good team. And it makes the Phoenix Suns look super deep on paper because they're like entire back end of the roster, like all the way up to like their 14th, 15th man is made up of ninth men. So it's like, holy, like, wow, these guys are so deep. They got so much depth, but that's not really playoff depth depth where you want seven or eight guys. And suddenly your sixth, seventh, eighth men are like ninth men, quote unquote. Right. And you're like, oh, hmm, maybe this isn't as good as I'd thought. I'm still not 100% sure they've solved their fifth player issue. Gordon definitely could be it. Like, Okogi will be it on some nights. Um, but I don't feel great about that. Um, 
And so I do want, like, I love all these players and I love that they went young instead of old. Like you said, there's potential for these guys to get better than they've been in the past. But I do just think that like, as an aggregate, it does feel like they didn't really address what was to me their biggest issue, which is just like figuring out who that last starting guy or closing guy in some respects is going to be. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll see. Like I said, this is mostly devil's advocate because I did love it overall, but I can see how we look back at the end of next season. And we're like, wow, we got a little bit too excited about a bunch of minimum level guys. Cause at the end of the day, minimum level guys are minimum guys for a reason, right? Very true. Very true. And I think that how they work together, you made a great point about playoff depth and how that will look. I can't argue that we'll see. Um, but you're right. Like those guys only strike me as like, yeah, maybe let's do that. Um, let's kind of lump in this last question together. Cause I do feel like, it is sort of similar, which is, and we could really just kind of come down to one. It's like the most, I would say like the the most, not even the most overrated signing because like, yeah, there's a lot of talk about that, but let's say like the most clueless move and tie that in with like the worst off season. Sure. Yeah. Like um, the same category for like the worst of the 2023 off season. There you go. Yeah. I'm going to say Houston, the Houston Rockets. Uh-oh. Um, Houston, we have a problem. and you know i think i under completely understand why they made all the decisions they did the contract for dylan brooks looked pretty crazy 86 million which i actually said before the season i thought he was going to get an 80 million dollar contract i think that he is a very good i think he's a better player than people think he is um they ended up having to overpay him because they whiffed on brooke lopez uh through some fascinating cap room shenanigans we don't need to go into here but the problem is they brought in fred van vliet they brought in dylan brooks they got a new coach in Udoka, and I think, you know, he is going to be an excellent on-court fit. I still have questions about bringing in a guy who's had some, let's say, salacious off-court behavior that maybe isn't like the kind of – those aren't really maybe the questions you want to be bringing onto this franchise that already has a lot of, you know, kind of maturity issues, I think. Um, but people are acting like Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are like these, like, you know – reliable old heads who are going to come in and set an order. And these are two guys who are pretty shot hungry on a team that is filled with like Chuck happy shoot first, shoot second, shoot third players. Uh, I feel kind of bad for Amen Thompson, who I think is, uh, you know, one of my favorite players in this draft. And he is not that kind of player, but like, he is not going to get the ball at all. He's just never going to touch it. And um, Brooks, we know it like basically got run out of Memphis for talking too much and shooting too much. Uh, and Van Vliet is not a table setting pass first kind of point guard. Like he is a good passer, um, but he shot under 40%, just like Brooks on a very high volume. And I don't think that like, he's going to come in and suddenly shoot eight times a game and focus really hard on making sure Jalen Green gets to the right spots. So like, I just don't love the fit on the court with Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Really. Um, I think the one thing all those two guys and, you know, you don't go have in common is that they are very willing to hold players accountable in the press and like talk shit about their own teammates more or less. Sorry, excuse my French, um, which there is some oh, benefit yeah. to. <laughs> there, There is some benefit to that for sure on a team that desperately, desperately needed accountability. Um, but I don't know that that is going to be as well received coming from other players as it is from the coach. And so while I love the coaching hire, I am concerned about Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. I'm, uh, the contracts, I think, are timed in such a way that hopefully they're not going to be too onerous down the road when Houston has to start extending some of their young guys. But I just don't think Van Vliet and Brooks are good on-court fits with the players they had in terms of trying to figure out if those guys can really be something on a winning basketball team. No one's expecting the Rockets to really make the playoffs this year, I think. They just want them Mm -hmm. to turn into a developing team instead of a bad team. And I am not convinced that Brooks and Fred Van Vliet are going to be the kind of complementary pieces that will accelerate the growth of the young guys. I, in fact, think they may be active impediments. 
No, I'm kind of with you there. I feel like they're just the right amount of, like you said, the word impediments to like slow up positions of key need for development for the Rocket. So definitely with you on that. Um, but yeah, I, my, I just want to say I appreciate you taking your time here, coming on and 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 talking. Well, wait, to who, who's your um, pick? I, I want to. I got oh, time to hear your oh, pick. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Okay, no, okay, I totally forgot about me. The Blazers. Oh. I and not because of. I, it's weird because I love their draft move. Like they did a really good job of of taking school. Like I said, ease decision, right? Uh, five years, 160 million for Jeremy Grant. Was not a fan of that even before Lilla put in his trade request. Mm. Like, uh, that's a lot of money. And I get like, you wanted to keep him and all that stuff. But this is a major overpay um, in general, in my mind, for a guy who like at his best is, I would say a really good second player, really more of a third mm. offensive wise. Like, I mean, he showed a little bit more in Portland. I'd say I could talk myself into being like a, a second guy, you know? Um, but I feel like he's more like an ancillary offensive piece who on like a good night can really bring you, you know, 28 to 30 points. But like for the most part, it's in that like 18 to 23 range, which is fine. Um, but that's a lot of money for a guy who's also 29, you know. Um, and with Dame leaving, it's like, okay, great. That's that's he's probably your best player. That's not great. Um, you're definitely gonna be tanking. And then the ways to go, oh, actually, no, we're trying to win. We're gonna be competitive. Um, I don't know what universe you trade one of your franchise's best players of all time, um, and are better positioned to win. You know, alongside a contract is more of an albatross, especially when you could easily just embrace the rebuild right now. And you have guys like Shaden Sharp who can move into that three. You have guys like Anthony Simons who you either see what they have, they're young enough they can fit with this young team, or you could trade him. Um, obviously, Scoot Henderson, Nasir Little, like you have pieces here that you can, you know, at this point, start the deconstruct, start the deconstruction. Let's go move Yusef Nurkic as well. Like, let's break hmm. it down. But for them not to do that, it's really, I mean, the the catalyst of why they had the worst offseason was a contract for Grant for me, but ultimately it's just the direction they're going with. Like, there's no way in my mind you make a trade for Lillard that puts you into playing contention. I think you were still solidly in that 12 to 15 range. Hmm. Um, and so if you have that lack of foresight and insight in, of your own team and the intel you have, uh, I, I can't grade you highly with a good conscience. <laughs> That's fair. I, you know, I, it's hard for me to get too, too worked up. I'd say about Jeremy Grant in it by itself. Like it's a lot of money. He's still a good player. He's going to have trade value down the, down the road. Um, and I think they're probably going to end up flipping him. My, I still don't love the Blazers off season because I just feel like to your point, there's other things they could have done and didn't do right. Like Nurkic is still there. Um, they lost Drew Eubanks, who, like, I think was actually a pretty valuable, you know, role player for them. I would have liked to have seen them keep him. Like, having a functional big man is so important for a young point guard like Scoot. And, um, you know, like, Nurkic is – like, I don't think Nurkic is that much better than Eubanks. And Nurkic is getting paid much more handsomely, and Eubanks is gone now, right? So, I don't know. I, I agree 100%. Like, they got a lot of young guys that need to see what they can do. And it feels like they still have some – veterans on the roster and you want some veterans but you don't want the ones that are kind of going back to like what we were saying about houston where like grant's not going to be table setting for any guys right like he's out there he's a had a pretty efficient scoring season last year but he is a scorer first and foremost on offense um and yeah i don't know i i portland still even after the trade feels like they may be lacking a little bit of direction or it could just be that you know they're waiting to see if they can get better deals closer to the trade deadline which happens in a lot of cases so it might just be that we're being a little too uh, eager beavers over here and we need to give them some time to fully realize their plan there it is you're right well listen i, I will say this mike it was a good plan to have you on um transition king i love it um <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time and just talking this offseason with me i know 
we could have gone on an easy 35, 40 minutes more. Um, and you know what? That just gives more room for another future pod with you yeah, as a sure. guest. So definitely want to thank you. And I want you to share with the folks where they can find you. You put out good work on your own accord, uh, just even despite working with basketball intelligence where we shot other people's fine work. But you put out great content. I think it's time for people to hear. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so find me at, at B-Ball is Poetry on Twitter, which is where I'll link to most of my work. Um, most of my written work is done on my own website. So basketballpoetry.com, check that out. Of course, go to basketballintelligence.net to get your daily newsletter linking to the best stories of the day. Um, and uh, yeah, so just hopefully, uh, you know, you'll like what you see. There we go. I'm sure y'all will. I know I've definitely enjoyed it. So thank you again, sir. Really appreciate that. Um, listen, y'all can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. If y'all are so inclined, definitely appreciate that. Um, also, any stuff on basketball intelligence, happy to work with Mike and, and Ray and just the fine folks there. It's it's a really good uh, squad as well. Um, I will start having more workout for Swish Theory coming soon. So definitely stay tuned for that. Some more front office history re- retrospectives. I think I'm we're starting with uh, the Phil Jackson Knicks, so that should be fun Ooh, to dive back into. And, nice. Yeah, that'll be great. And then I'm also, in, in fact, definitely going to talk about Mike on this, but might as well shout out here. Um, coming up in about two weeks, um, I'm going to start my first uh, NBA draft retrospective. We're going back 30 years. So we're going wow. from 93 to now, which is, I know, very like quick, like immediate reaction. But we're going to look back on the draft, some of what we liked, what we didn't like, players that we have saw that, you know, confusing fits and whatnot, and then do a little fun exercise where we draft our best little 10-man rotation out the draft well really eight-man rotation um out the draft as our own little individual team so it should be fun um but yeah we'll go from 93 to 2023 it should be a lot of fun for the history bus for the nba sickos as we are and all of that so excited to get started with that but um listen y'all this has been great definitely check us out like i said round ball ramble roster reconstruction check out mike's work as well on at b-ball is poetry but until next time y'all for mike for myself we are frosty y'all stay frosty and i'll talk to y'all Thank you.